Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. What it is saying is the ultimate responsibility of the education of the family falls upon the dad. Now, he may delegate it to his wife, and together as a couple, he may, they may delegate to a, a, an educational system. But when it's all said and done, mom, if she's a single parent, dad, if he's a single parent, mom and dad, predominantly the dad ultimately, but the mom's actively involved, is responsible for that family and the education of it. And it comes back to this. Remember the Judeo-Christian ethic. He's saying this is what they need to know. Now let me kind of come up for air for just a moment. Does that mean that you only teach the Bible, no science and history and math and all this kind of stuff? Oh yes, teach all that. The point of the matter is all of those, though, need to be run through the grid of an inerrant, God-inspired, all-sufficient word of God, and it would not contradict that Judeo-Christian ethic. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, now, how it's coming out into your world or my world is that all of a sudden over the last couple years, predominantly in this last year, and it's not over by any means yet, we're seeing now where you're hearing parents are taking back school boards and taking back school systems because they saw what was going on with their kids. Are you understanding what I'm saying? I will applaud that, but I want to give you one caveat. What we're seeing now is parents are recognizing, whoa, some of this has really gone so far off the rail and we've got to protect our kids. Now, while they want to do that, we want to make sure that if we are taking a greater stand, that we still don't neglect nor reject God's word, even as a parent, to make sure our kids get a God-centered education. So our responsibility is whatever they're learning, making sure, here it is, listen carefully, that that truth doesn't deny God, watch it, nor will it neglect God. You can say, I, I, I won't deny God, but let's not bring him into this right now. Well, that's nearly as close to denying God. You want the kids to get as much of a God-centered education as possible. Now, historically, because this whole message is built on the foundations of our freedom, most of you are aware that a couple of the Ivy League schools were all founded from a biblical perspective to train future missionaries and pastors, etc. The four schools were Harvard, Yale, a little bit later Princeton, and Dartmouth. Not giving you history of all of them, but Dartmouth was actually started to train Native Americans to evangelize Native Americans. You can Google all this. I went to Yale as a guest, not as a student. The reason I went there is because my hobby is to read biographies of the great missionary pastoral statesmen of days gone by. And as I went through Yale, because I heard many of them were touched by Yale, we're talking 16, 17, 1800s, I wanted to see what was there. Went into this wonderful library. I walked through the halls and the outside buildings, and over some of the doors, they had the names that that room was named after. Maybe the guy went there. I don't know if the building was that old then, but at this point, the name was there. I was amazed at some of the people. I'll just give you one. Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was known as America's first great theologian. His name is there at Yale. So I thought, what about Harvard? You hear a lot of bad stuff about Harvard. Remember, parents would teach their kids when they got to a certain level, they would then put them into a school that was founded for the purpose of continuing that God-centered education. 
He was founded in 1636, way before all the actions and the guns went off for the revolution. They had a document, it was called Rules and Precepts. In it, here's what it said. Let every student at Harvard be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. I'm probably the only one that knows it's there. That's not, not a bragamone. You know what I'm really illustrating. Is, do they still get that now? I don't think they do. We have a seal for Clarity Christian College. You know what a seal is? Kind of, you know, the Bible and a torch and all that. It's a seal. Harvard had a seal too, and I'm going to call it the original seal. It's not the same seal today. But the original seal had this emblazed on it. Truth for Christ in the church. So these schools really had a beginning to continue the process, the legacy of a God-centered education for any kids to be able to be educated to the next level of whatever usefulness that they would have. And I would like to say that's the foundation of our freedom, and I would only hope that you and I would be able to consider it in some measure and to really keep it going. I have many more quotes, but I'm going to skip those and just go to principle number five. Request the message, and I'll send it to you with all of that. Principle five. Recognizing the Abrahamic covenant. That's a big mouthful, isn't it? Recognizing the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is not an unconditional covenant. I mean, it's not a conditional covenant. That means he'll do this if you do that. The Abrahamic covenant says, I promise this. It is unconditional. This is going to happen, and this is what I want. Now, why is this important? So I'm going to have to give you a little bit, so stay with me. Uh, I do promise to get you out of here, but I want you to listen to this passage. This is the foundational passage on what is the Abrahamic covenant, what it was to Abraham, and in it, you're going to hear in just a moment, how that Abrahamic covenant was so important for the rest of the world, for the rest of time, that it's all pivotal upon Abraham and his legacy, which would be the nation of Israel, the Jews, etc. So listen carefully, only three verses, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. It's very easy to follow. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house. This is at the kind of the beginning of Abram's uh, history here. And he says, I want you, Abram, leave all these people, but I want you to go to a land that I will show you. And if you're following in your Bible, underline the word land. And land does not mean necessarily people yet, because he wasn't going to a new people necessarily. He was going to dirt. He was going to a field. He was going to property. He was going to land. All right, that's key. But it goes on to say, he says... To land which I'll show you, I will make you a great nation. And at one time there were so many Jews you couldn't count them like the stars in the sky and the sands of the sea. I'll make you a great nation, a powerful nation, not only in number, but the fact that God did so many miracles through this nation where nothing was done through others to show God's favor on this nation, not because it was a big nation, but because God wanted his name to be known. Then he says, I will bless you. So anything that the Jews were getting at that time was because God chose to sovereignly bless them. And then he says, I will make your name great. Now, great could be well-known. In many ways, it could be, here it is, here it is, famous or infamous. With some people, they'd say, that's famous. You talk to some people in the Middle East, it's infamous. It goes on to say, I'll make your name great. Then he says, and you shall be a blessing. Now, here's the key. Most people will read that, you shall be a blessing, and go on to the next thing. You'll be kind of cool. A lot of people like you. You'll help some folks. You'll be a blessing. That's not really what it is. That is like a pivotal of it all. You Jews are going to be a blessing. In other passages, it says a blessing to the rest of the world for the rest of time. How can Jews be a blessing to all of them? Why did God take all these people from Abram and says, you now are going to bless everybody. You're going to have your own land. 
And the whole world will be blessed by you. Here it is. Here it is. Jesus Christ came through the lineage of Abraham. And because of Jesus Christ, Christ offers eternal life with the only true God by faith alone in him when Christ went to the cross. So through the Jews, the rest of the world can be blessed if they realize that from the Jews came Jesus and they can have eternal life. So in a sense, the Jews birthed Jesus. Jesus is a gift to the world from the Jews because God brought the Jews into existence. So the Abrahamic, are you, st are you still with me? Are you, are you tracking okay? The rest of the verse says this. He says, and you shall be a blessing. Then he says, I will. That is a unconditional promise. I will bless those who bless you, Jews, starting with Abraham. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he said it twice. Now remember, everybody will be blessed because of you. Here's what we're saying by this. Anybody who's going to put down the Jewish nation will have problems in the end. So we have what we call the Abrahamic covenant. So any nation now that will remember that covenant that Israel has and will bless, help them will be blessed because of it. Now there's a lot more we can clarify that because there's a balance in that as well because there are some people that are Jewish in name, I get it, but at the same time they're not living according to their own Abrahamic covenant. All right, principle number six, being a nation of common decency. If we want to be a nation that's great for the Lord, our foundational principle for freedom is a nation of common decency. That's why in the Old Testament it says to love the Lord, says to love your neighbor. The New Testament reiterates it, and the Lord only puts a stronger spin on it when he says this, love the Lord, love others, because that's the whole law right there. That's everything right there. All right, so that's taking everything is into that. So we're to love one another. Decent nations have decent people who do decent things. And I hope that we would. I hope we'd be a nation that we would say, what God has given to us, we will work with you if you will also work with us. Let's go to principle number seven, our last one. This one is called realizing our personal accountability to God. Realizing our personal accountability to God. Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed for men to die once, but after this is the judgment. That means we have to be judged. Many years ago, Carol and I went to a seminar because we had adopted two boys. They were seven years old and 10 years old. They had the same mother who was a barmaid, but different fathers. Alcohol was just flowing almost more than water in the house. While the boys didn't drink, the mother did drink, so both boys were impacted by fetal alcohol. And so because of that, they had struggles in their particular, in their particular life. And so Carol and I knew that we had to somehow work with them. So our first thought is somehow they need to come to Christ because if they have Christ, they have the Spirit. If they have the Spirit, then we've got a partner, a powerful partner to help us parent. And so we need to make sure they knew Christ as Savior. That doesn't mean they automatically became perfect. It just means now I have someone to help me with them and help them help them, which would be the Holy Spirit. Now once that happened, at this seminar, we learned one truth. Or a, lot, a lot of truths, but this one really stuck me, stuck with me. They said, when you're rearing your kids, help them to understand that God is watching them every minute of every day. He doesn't sleep, so he watches them at night. So if they have nightmares, let them know the Lord who's more powerful is right there awake while you're asleep watching you from the boogeyman under your bed. All right, don't worry about it. But also he's gonna be with you when you go to school and you're being tempted to take dope. He's gonna be with you when you sit into another classroom or around other kids that are wanting to tempt you to do uh, nefarious things. Remember that the Lord sees you. We give him the passage that says that everything that we have is open, and before him, and naked, scripture actually says, 
because he's watching you. Now, one of our boys, after we were learning all that, he was afraid to take his clothes off because his grandma died and thought maybe grandma could see him naked. All right. Now, maybe that was overkill on the principle, but I think there was some truth in that because now he knows. You all remember the name of Daniel Webster, a great American statesman? I'm quoting now. He was asked what was probably the most profound, most sobering thought that ever entered his mind. Now, I'm going to give it to you, but I want you to think about this all day. Here was the most profound, impactful thought in his mind. Very short, he says this. My accountability to God. God knows everything you think before you think it. He knows every word you're going to say before you say it. Every deed you're going to do before you do it. And everything we do, we have to give an account before him. If we're a Christian, it won't determine whether we go to heaven or to hell. It'll determine the rewards we get up there. And a bunch of other stuff along the way. And I hope it's not because we're afraid that he's going to discipline us. As much as we use that governor in our life as a way to show to the Lord, Watch me, Lord. I really do love you. And I want to do everything that I can in my thought, talk, and walk that will bring glory and honor to you. So I hope that as we're working with our young people, that we'll remember these seven particular principles. Now I'm going to share some not-so-fun news. I hope this doesn't um, demoralize you or demotivate you. I do want us to vote for good godly government, that we would uphold the Judaic Christian life. I pray that we are vocal when we need to be vocal. I pray that we are busy about seeing people come to know Christ as Savior. But we are not the Savior of the United States of America. I cannot promise that God will make America great, keep America great, or even make America greater. The Bible says in the last days, things are going to get worse and worse. Will any of you deny that we're living in the last days? I think we're closer to the last days today than we were yesterday. And things aren't getting worse. But here's what I can promise you. No matter where you live in the country, no matter what happens in Washington, no matter what happens in the school system, what happens in religiosity across the country, that you still can be free and free indeed. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have the power now over sin. No, 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 no. We'll never be sinless. By his grace and power, we can sin less. And you know that sin is a great enslaver. And Satan loves to get our sin self to really get involved in sin so you can have the victory. When you know Christ, you now have the power to shed any chain, any blame, any pain that you have. And lastly, when you know Christ as Savior, you are free, free, eternally free indeed from eternal damnation. Once you know Christ as Savior, no matter what happens in this world, no matter what happens to our freedom, they can never take away our salvation as long as we've trusted Christ. Let me end with this illustration and a prayer. Let my right hand represent you and me, and let my wallet represent our sin. The Bible says we all have sin on us, don't we? I've sinned, you've sinned, we've all sinned, haven't we? How many of you can say uh, you've stolen at least one little thing in your life? Change off your mother's dresser, answer off someone's paper, how you filled out your income tax. Anyway, let's go back to this, all right? We've all done that. How many of you can honestly say that you've told at least one lie? White lie, pink lie, whatever. Okay, look at all the hands. So ladies, watch your purses. There are liars and thieves in here, okay? 
Now, I joke about that, but I want us to remember, folks, that in the name of Jesus Christ, sin is wicked. And all this lying and stuff we lack about, that's still sin. And I have sin on us, whether it's in thought, talk, or walk, or all of the above. Here am I with my sin. The Bible says that because I'm a sinner, I'm already separated from God. And when I die, I'll spend eternity separated from him in a horrible place called hell. So I'm separated while I'm alive. I'll spend eternity separated in hell when I die if I don't know Christ. This is my problem. Now what happens now, because I'm a sinner, religions of some kind, whatever it is, just any religion will tell you if you want to get to that, quote, happy hunting ground, or you want to get to nirvana or whatever it is, there's a series of deeds you have to do, and there's a series of deeds you better not do. So we're going to call those works. If you're in a religion, it's going to tell you certain religious deeds to do and certain things you ought not to do. It doesn't really matter. It'll tell you it's by works. God says, ah, 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 ah. Old Testament, New Testament says it's not by works of righteousness. It says it's only by faith. So there's no good deed I do myself. Look up here. I can turn over a new leaf, clean myself off, add a bunch of good deeds on top of this, but I still have a sin problem. In order to go to heaven, God says I have to be 100% perfect. 100, never, you could say today, I will never sin as I move forward. We've sinned in the past, so we're already marred by that sin. If I tell one lie, Revelation 21, 27 says I can't make it into heaven, so I have to be perfect. And the Bible says I'll never be perfect. Therefore, I need a savior. So here am I, a sinner, separated from God, destined for hell. My own good deeds won't get me to heaven. But now who pops up on the scene is God himself because he said, I made you in my image and I don't want you to go to hell. And you, you bought into this secular or religious system, but you didn't buy into my saving grace. So he said, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to pay your ticket to heaven, your ticket to, your ticket to Disney World. So here's what he did. He said, I'm going to die I'm going to take all your sin on myself 2,000 years ago, paid for our sin, rose again from the dead, and he says, now your sin ticket is paid for. Now, there are some people who think, well, Jesus paid for the little sins, I paid for the big ones, or he paid for the big ones, I paid for the little ones. We don't sing the song, Jesus paid it part, and I'll pay part myself. We don't sing it that way. We sing, Jesus paid it what? All right, so the ticket to heaven, eternal life, eternal relationship, watch this, watch this, freedom, eternal freedom, is found in Christ. He did all of that. Now, does that mean just because he paid your ticket to heaven, you're going to heaven? No different than you paid my ticket to get into the rodeo. If I don't take that ticket, I ain't getting there. So what I have to do now is I have to receive that which Christ done for me. And how I receive that is I place my faith alone in him. How many know John 3.16? Quote it with me, church. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever behaves shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. But how many people can quote that verse but then they say it's by behaving. Let's do it correctly. Do it again with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes and behaves shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. So if they don't front load the gospel, they back load the gospel. No. Now just listen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever you are, if you believe, you will not perish but have everlasting life. Right? Wrong. I left out a phrase. I said, whoever believes. Believe doesn't save you. It's the right object of your faith that saves you. The verse says this. For God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his son, that whoever you are, if you believe in him, you have everlasting life. If I believe in myself, my religion, or whatever, doesn't make any difference. He says, eh, eh. He says, it's by faith alone in Christ alone, right? 
So if you want to have freedom in your life for all eternity, no matter what the world does, no matter how much you might get enslaved by laws that are so anti-biblical, so selfish, so self-serving, that are so different, and we can't stop it, it's like a train hitting us. When we go to bed at night, we still can say, because we trust in Christ, we are free. Thank God Almighty, we are free indeed. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed. These seven foundational principles, however you want to word them, you can find them in Scripture. And I pray that we'll celebrate those. But if these principles are destroyed, what are we going to do? Well, the answer to that is, I hope you trust Christ as Savior. So that when we do leave the country in which we're in, upon death, we'll spend eternity in a literal place called heaven, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you stumbled in today or you're listening to us on social media, I pray that whoever you might be, that you come to a point in your life that you could admit that you're a sinner. We all are. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. We've all done something wrong. We got that. But I also pray that you'd realize that you have no hope to save yourself. There's no hope for you to have an eternal relationship with God. There's no hope of an afterlife in heaven for you Apart from you understanding that Jesus died and he rose again. Apart from the fact that you believe that that really happened and he really did it for you. I hope you realize though that you have to engage your trust. And so now you've got to completely like falling backwards but knowing that Jesus is going to catch you. You're going to fall back into the arms of Christ. You trust him. Quote Sky Pilot to take you to heaven. Trust him as a God who cannot lie when he says, you trust in me, you have everything. You trust in him. You place your faith in him. He says, he that believes on me, right then, you have eternal life. You don't get it when you die. You get it the moment you trust Christ. You might say, well, what happens when I sin again? Well, here's the issue. You can't get unsaved once you are saved because he keeps you saved. But if you do, you'll be a disobedient child of his. While he won't kick you out, he will discipline you. And he does it not because he's angry. He does it because he's grieving because he knows when you're not in his will as a believer that you're not getting the best for your life and he wants the best of your life to be the rest of your life. So maybe for those of you who haven't trusted Christ, you'll do that right now. If today's the day you're saying, Lord, I'm a sinner, but the best I know how, I am placing my faith alone in you. I ain't going to get there without you, Lord. I'm trusting in you. So Lord, please help me. I'm trusting you to give me eternal life. If you're doing that, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. I'm not going to have you come forward. I'm not going to have you say anything. I'm not going to mention your name in my prayer. I'm not going to come off the stage. I just want to know if today is the day you're trusting Christ. Now, I'm not talking about those who already trusted Christ. I'm talking about those who engaged Christ in faith this morning and in this message. And now you'd like for me to remember you privately in my prayers. Is there anyone at all with heads bowed, eyes closed? Today's the day you're trusting Christ. Would you put your hand up real high so I can see it? Pop it up, put it down. Anyone at all? God bless you. Anyone else? All right. Christians, I'd like to ask you... If you engaged in one or more of these principles for the foundations of our freedom, and you'd like for me to pray for you because you've received greater insight in this and you now would like to not only own it, but perhaps share it with others, your own family. And you'd like to have prayer that it won't just be another message on the 4th of July weekend. Would you slip up your hand? Amen, amen. Let's stand together in prayer, shall we? Let's stand quietly. And I'll close us in prayer. And then Pastor David will come. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you that we are at the throne of grace because of grace. I thank you that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, 
because of the word of God alone for the glory of God alone. I thank you that, Father, that in centuries gone by, there were men and women who discussed and centered down on these foundational principles. And through great wisdom and insight that they put together documents that helped us understand these principles and essentially for us to enjoy the freedom that we have as Christians to be able to propagate and to be able to provide a society with decent principles for living. I thank you for this church that has long stood for the word of God and the gospel, for its accuracy, for its clarity, for its urgency. Because, Father, this church knows that biblically it's the epicenter of all true freedom now and forever. And Father, I thank you for those who have trusted you. I pray that, Father, you help them to grow in grace and the knowledge, and the knowledge of you so that they will not groan in disgrace. Bless this church, help it to continue to be, and even widen its influence as a lighthouse for the gospel. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.